uh, on the second part, if you would, it's going to depend on whether you heard the first part, and I'm going to hang on to the second part today, and we're speaking from the book of Revelation, so if you want to turn there, uh, the title that we used is When a Calling Becomes a Vision, part two. So you didn't get the first part, you need to go home and get on the website and pull it up and listen to that. Uh, but uh, today we're going to build from where we left off and build on. Okay. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to preach your eternal world. And our, our hearts go out to those that uh, we heard uh, requests for prayers for families that have lost loved ones. We know about uh, the one that uh, Tom's uh, daughter's husband's family. We know about that. We know about the one that uh, Shelly brought and even the one that's had hospice called in, Hazel that Lois uh, told us about. We pray that you'll have your way in all those families as well as uh, the Weaver family in Texas and Lord, others that need a touch from you, we ask that you'd just be with them in a special way. But now for this service, Holy Spirit, take charge. It's all about you. It's all about souls. Guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, in Revelation, we were in Revelation 4, but I want to just kind of set a little bit of stage this morning and go back to Revelation 1.1. 1, 1. All right? Those of you with the Bible. Uh, Revelation 1.1, 1, 1, I want you to see there, verse 1 tells us this is the revelation that is singular. So when you hear people tell you about the revelations, and all, no, there's only one revelation. And who's that revelation of? Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. You got that? That's the first line. If you don't understand that, you probably will get sidetracked by all those teachings that people put out of what's taking place here. And he says, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave. Who gave it to us? God gave it to us. Does that make it important? Amen. God's in charge. Amen. If you got a calling, who gave it to you? If you get a vision, who gave it to you? Okay, now we're, now we're starting to come together. All right, we got it? And to show unto his servants things which shortly must come to pass. Now, a lot of people take that as this is some kind of future prophecy book. That's not what he's talking about. Okay? He's talking about these things are shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant, John. Who's God's angel? Jesus is his son. Who's his angel? The Holy Spirit. So in that first verse, we have the Trinity. You see that? God gave it. It came as a revelation of his son, and his angel sent it to John. All three of them. That's the Trinity. Okay? A lot of people say, I believe in the Trinity, but I don't know where to prove it from Scripture. Well, I've got plenty of places, but here's one that's really solid. Okay? So here we go. It's the revelation of Jesus uh, Christ, and it's in the singular form, and he sent and signified it. Now, signified means it's symbolic language. We call it symbolic, but what it really means, it's in spiritual language. 
It's in biblical language. Some of the symbols we see in the book of Revelation are explained in other portions of the Bible, and some of them go all the way back to Genesis. And some of them are in the New Testament, but it's scattered throughout. You know why it works well that way? The same Holy Spirit that wrote Genesis wrote the Revelation. Well, he didn't write it. He gave it to the person to write it. So if we're getting the same teaching from the same teacher, we should come up with the same answer, right? Amen. That's the way it should work. All right. So here we have uh, Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit in that verse. And then it says the Holy Spirit, or the angel gave it to John in verse 2, who bear record of what? The word of God. John is writing this to bear record of the word of God. He's not writing it to bear record of some kind of uprising, some kind of future teaching, some kind of nothing else. He's writing it to bear record of the word of God. That verse right there tells us about the two witnesses. Hmm. He bear record of the word of God, right? Of course, the angel is the who. That's the Holy Spirit, right? Are we, am I reading this in English? You understanding me? Everybody got this? This is just too hard? Okay, I'm trying to make it as simple as it can be because I want you to understand a lot of us have been taught or heard or had someone preach or listen to television or something else that's something way out in left field, some kind of prophecy something that's not really what the Word of God is even trying to preach. I even went to a church at one time. And all of you know we went, came, basically our roots come from Sharonville Church of God. Okay? And the preacher there was a dynamic preacher. And he preached a lot of the revelation. We learned a lot from him. But he also had a chart that went all the way across behind him on the podium. And it had the years on it of the seven churches and what time period those ch seven churches represented. Okay, had we followed that to the T, Jesus would already have come back about 20 years ago. Hmm. Did I miss it? No, I didn't miss it because if I missed it, everything of this earth would be burned up and be gone. That's what the Bible says is going to happen when he comes back. Amen. There ain't going to be no second chance. Ain't going to be no millennial. Ain't going to be a rapture. He's not going to sneak in here at night and steal out the Christians and leave all the crazy people. Yeah. Amen? That's not the way it works. When Jesus comes again, that's it. You know how I know that? Because my Bible says nothing about a third coming. But it does say about a second coming and says when its second coming happens, that's it. Hmm. So he can't come and just take some and leave some, or he'd have to come back a third time to get the sum that he left. Hmm. That, well, all right. Well, anyway, we'll just keep rolling here. In other words, the two witnesses, the Word of God and the Spirit of God, always support, according to the Scripture, verse 2, the testimony of Jesus Christ. What is Jesus' testimony? What he said what he did, his legacy, however you want to say it, 
People can't stand up and say, oh, I'm such a great person. I got saved 45 years ago and I just haven't turned back since when they're only 20 years old. That's not, that's not a real testimony. That doesn't add up. But if you take the word of God and the spirit of God and what it has to say about Jesus Christ and what Jesus taught, <coughs> it all adds up. His example, his teaching, his sacrifice for our sins and that uh, fulfill the complete will of God that we, as his church, are called to carry on through the vision God has for us individually. See, your, holy, your salvation's up to you and God. It's individual. I said it last week, I'll say it again. You are as spiritual as you want to be. Amen. If you're not spiritual as you think you should be, it ain't my fault. Amen. It ain't Mike Metter's fault. He puts it on the board for you. Amen. So if you're not as spiritual as you want to be, who are you going to blame? The person you look for in the mirror. Amen. All right. Now, listen up. Everybody listening? If you're listening, sit down. Good. Everybody's listening. I'm going to tell you something that will probably shock your socks, so hang on to them. In the book of Revelation, there's going to be three things that everything falls under these three areas or categories. It's not dates on a calendar. Nope, we've already been there. It's not future comings or whatever. That wouldn't be fair to the churches that it's already passed on. They wouldn't... Why should the Laodicean church or the, uh, the Philadelphia church read the Laodicean church when it comes before it? But yet, there's valuable things written to the letter to the Laodiceans that the Philadelphian, Ephesians, and Smyrgara, all of them could learn from if they just listened to the word and spirit of God. That makes sense, don't it? Huh. Well, there's three areas. You can write them down if you want. And don't forget them. Number one, Jesus Christ. The revelation is about him in a lot of cases. A lot of what is being taught is all about Jesus Christ. When I say Jesus Christ now, remember, I'm talking about the Trinity. You can't separate Jesus from the Father, nor can you separate Jesus from the Holy Spirit. So every teaching in this revelation is going to cover one of three areas, and one of them is Jesus Christ. The second area, you ready? Is the church. That's what Jesus came to build. That was his mission. That's what God sent him to do, and he did it. The church, how many know the church is here? It's already here. You know, uh, there are people that teach the book of Revelation say the church and the kingdom's coming. But they're 2,000 years too late. You know, it's been here for 2,000 years. They just missed it. Amen. And number three, you ready for this one? In the Revelation, it's about Jesus, the church, or anything that would hinder your relationship as a church to Jesus Christ. That would be the devil, the world, that would be anything that says anything about uh, anything that's going on 
your selfishness, your own pride, your own ego, anything that gets between you and Jesus Christ, it's going to be discussed there in this Bible, in this book. Did you know that? The understanding of this book, all 22 chapters, will fall into one or maybe two or even three of those areas of explanation as to how we should be in accordance to this book. Amen. You, you open the chapter and read it, it's going to fall in one of those three areas. Amen. It doesn't matter which ones you, you read. You can read the, the first two, uh, second and third chapter, and it's going to tell you about Jesus, the church, and what's coming between Jesus and the church. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Every one of those letters say that to you. They let you know the devil's not happy with you being the church and have a working, walking, daily experience with Jesus Christ. Okay? You can say, oh, no, I know about the millennium. It says in there a thousand years, and I know 666, that's the mark of the beat. Well, you, you need to dig a little deeper. Some of those things, are, they, but I tell you, just I got to move on. All, any of them fall in those three areas. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a revelation of the church, and it's a revelation of what will detain you or hold you back from being what you need to be in the church. Amen? So it's uh, these three categories in revealing God's will for the church, uh, which any of us that's born again, redeemed, justified, sanctified, or holy living saints of God, anyone that answers the call of God for salvation, the book of Revelation is important to you. It will tell you where you need to be in your walk with God. Now, if you answered and obeyed the call of God, God knows that each of us only have so much time on this earth to do his will. You know your days are numbered. Do you know how many more you got? Would you like to know? No, you wouldn't? Yeah, you want to know when Jesus is coming back? Everybody probably would. But guess what? God said, no, 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 that's not important. I'll take care of that. You just take care of you. The one you see in the mirror, that's who you're responsible for. You take care of that one, everything else will work out fine. You see, now God has had thousands and millions of people that probably read this book before we was even born. Isn't that something? Amen. I always, whenever I say that, it reminds me of valor. That's what I always say to Isn't that something? Amen. But now, there's only so much time that you and I have to walk in the calling God gave us and in the vision God gave us because our time is limited. God's eternal. Amen? So if you put a time and a date on anything in here, you're missing God's point. Amen. It's up to you to know what this revelation is as far as your relationship with Jesus, your relationship in the church, and your relationship with everybody that's fighting against 
your relationship with the church. Falls in any of those three areas. So our vision of God is going to be based on how much time we spend and doing the best that we can or doing the best we're suited to fulfill these three categories in this particular book. Again, number one, we need to be glorifying God. Number two, we need to work on being the church. And number three, we need to recognize and rebuke the devil and resist the ways of the world and any selfish or prideful ambition we have of our own. Because that will just hinder our walk with God. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Anybody doesn't understand that? Want, want me to repeat all that? It only took me a half hour to get that point across. I want to make one more point, and then we're going to chapter 4 where we left off. That point's in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. Amen? The first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He's the only one that can redeem you. If you're trying to get to heaven any other way than through the blood of Jesus Christ, you're looking up the wrong path. It ain't going to happen. Amen? Now here's what he did for us in verse 6 when we got washed in the blood. And made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory, dominion forever and ever. All right? Everybody understand that? Amen. Here we go. So he made us kings and priests and we're born into the family of God when we're born again. We don't read too much about priests nowadays. There's very few churches that even use that term. Um, but priests is a, a, in the Old Testament was a job title for the Levites. Now there's 12 children of Israel, right? You know them all, right? You can recite them. But the Levite family, or Levi's family, was appointed to be over the priesthood. Okay? They didn't have to go to battle. What was their responsibility? Take care of the temple. It was a tent with poles holding it up, and it had sacred things inside the tent, Ark of the Covenant and all the, the candles and all the tables and washings and all that, sacrifices and altars. That was, all, that was the priest's job. Okay? If you wasn't of the family of Levite, you had no business going in there to do any of that work. Huh. That doesn't sound like a personal experience to me. No, that sounds like they're doing the work for me. Now, I had to bring a sacrifice to the priest. He slit his throat, caught the blood, poured it on the altar, slayed the, the animal or whatever it was, sacrifice, and my sins were, if you were, covered at that point. Now, in the New Testament, see, that's the way it was in the Old Testament when he made us uh, kings and priests. And what really had to happen for you to be a priest in the Old Testament? You had to be born in the right family. Huh. Otherwise, you was on the outside looking in. But not, it's not true in the New Testament. In the New Testament... 
were born into the family of God. So now being a child of God gives us the privilege right here to be our own king and priest before God. I can take my own sacrifice to God. Amen. Uh, it might be something I drop in the offering plate called a tithe. It may be my time I sacrifice to do for others. Or it may be whatever you want to call it, but I do that individually and I say, Lord, accept this sacrifice that I'm trying to help someone else find you as their Savior. That's a witness and a testimony for God. If you're a king and a priest, you personally have that opportunity because now you're born into the proper family, the family of God. Amen? So you have the ability to do the spiritual works and deeds in your heavenly Father's name. Amen. In the Old Testament, if you wanted to sacrifice for sin, you had to take that sacrifice to the priest and he had to do it. Now you get to do it on your own. Isn't that something? Huh. Again, valor's listening. Isn't that something? Okay. Now, let's go back where we left off last week. Revelation 4. We stopped... In verse, or we've got through the first five verses. I'm going to finish, well, I hope I finish today the rest of this chapter. Revelation 4 and 6. Now, we've, we've covered all the rest of this. I don't want to go back. I may touch on it or aim at some of that, but, but it all ties together, and if you didn't hear it, go home and, and listen to it. Verse 6 says, before the throne. Now, where's the throne? Everybody remember where the throne was? Well, we need to figure that out. So here we found out in verse 3, verse 4, um, the throne is all over this uh, particular uh, chapter up to the point where we're at here. Verse 5, out of the throne precedes lightnings. We found out what that was. The throne, where is that? We proved it last week. That's your heart. That's where God sits. That's where God lives. This is his throne. All right? Now, um, we went through all that last week. Well, hopefully we, we understand that. And he said in there, uh, around that, there's a sea of glass. And I want to kind of just touch on this with you. It's like unto crystal. It's not crystal. It's like unto crystal. What's crystal? Ever seen crystal? Well, I've just seen it on chandeliers and the only reason I do that is because every time we walk under one Bonnie says I'd hate to have to dust that she's a house cleaner and she hated cleaning crystal chandelier it's a hard job brother so she hated that and that's the only reason I even probably recognized it I'm not very observant when I walk through in a lot of cases there's a lot of things that I just don't see now if there's a deer within a hundred yards I'll see it but crystal chandeliers and flowers in the windows and candles and all, I don't see none of that stuff. It just doesn't, it, it's not on my radar. But here we have a chandelier, or I'm sorry, a crystal, and it's, it, is, uh, it says it's like unto crystal. So it was not crystal. It's just like crystal, all right? What is the likeness of crystal? What do, you, what do you think of when you see crystal? 
You can see through it. It's pretty. It sparkles. Well, we've got a whole sea of that crystal. You know who that is? That's the church. That's you and I. But it's, we're only the crystal as the sea around that throne if we're living the holy life God has called us to live. Amen. Did you know that? It, wouldn't it be cool to have a crystal chandelier that never had any dust on it? Isn't that? It would be one of the most beautiful chandeliers you've ever seen. Yeah. What happens though if it comes loose from the anchor and falls down and cracks and busts and dirt all over? Not very pretty anymore, is it? Well, what's your life look like when it cracks and falls and breaks and gets dust and dirt all over it? Yeah, it's not the same, is it? But if you're the sea of crystal, amen, that's a picture of the church, okay? And Jesus said that we need to be without spot and blameless. We are walking in the footprints of Jesus to the best of our ability. That's how he describes And when God looks down at your pure heart, you're walking in everything you know that God's shown you, he looks at you and says, mm, look at that pretty crystal sea. I don't mind making my throne right in the middle of that. Isn't that something? There it is. Again, it's falling into those areas I talked to you about earlier. Turn with me over to Second uh, Peter, third chapter. Verses 13 and 14. I want to read something to you here. If I got it right, Second Peter. I'm in oh, wrong book. No wonder that didn't sound right. Second Peter, three. We're getting there. My pages were sticking. Second Peter three. Verses 13 and 14. Now this is uh, Peter's giving a description and you could read the whole, I hate to just pull these two verses out, but it fits where we're at. But if you want to read the whole thing, it's about the second coming of Christ. Remember, I told you everything's going to melt and be just burn up and over, it tells you that, verse number 10. Verse number uh, 13 says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. That's not the old dirt part here. That's new hearts. That's the new heaven and the new earth. All right? And we find in verse 14, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that we look for such things, be diligent. You know what diligent means? Work at it to the best of your ability. Give it your best effort. Do it best you know how. Be diligent that ye may have found in him in peace without spot and blameless. That's what God's looking for when he looks at that sea of crystal or that sea of glass that's just like crystal. That's what he wants you to be. Now again, this whole context, you might want to read this if you're concerned about the second coming of Christ and what happens after that, it'll let you know nothing. When the second coming of Christ happens, that's it. Uh, and what will happen to the elements in the physical earth? They're going to be burned up. You know what? 
That eliminates the rapture. That eliminates the millennium. That eliminates any kind of a second chance or a third coming of Christ. It's all over physically when Christ comes again the second time. Amen? The only thing that happens after the second coming of Christ in the scripture is the final judgment where the sheep get separated from the goats and the sheep get to go with the righteous to heaven and the goats got their place to go too. Amen? All right. Now back in Revelation 4, verse 6 again. I got to learn to turn pages faster. Verse 6, here's what we got. In the midst of the throne... And around about the throne it talks about, there are four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Who are the beasts? Well, I got to say this much about that. Everybody reads that word beast, if they're reading it in the King James Version, they think of some kind of dinosaur or some kind of dragon or some kind of, I don't know, whatever you think of beast, but that word actually should have been interpreted living creatures. There were four living creatures. Now that is backed up, if you would, in the revised version of the King James Bible. It's in the everyday version. It says living creatures. The NIV says living creatures. And the Amplified says living creatures. And if you've got a marginal, and even in your King James Bible, mine's a Thompson chain reference, it says living creatures in the side margin. Okay? So we're not talking about beasts like some kind of something that's going to come and cause you all kinds of heartache and you're going to have to fight and stab and, and whatever and kill like Daniel the lion slayer or well, I don't know whatever you watch on from Hollywood what the word beast means to you. Here they're just talking about living creatures. That makes it easier for us to even comprehend and understand what he's saying. So don't get excited about the word beast versus living creatures because it's talking about you and me. That beast is us. Huh, did you know that? You're a beast. When's the last time you was called a beast? Well, yesterday I was called a beast, but that's okay. Amen. But nonetheless, uh, there are a lot of things that's going around and this is around the throne is where these living creatures are. You're a living creature. Did you know that? How about that stuff? And why are you alive? Not because of how good you are, because Jesus Christ is on his throne in your heart and life. That makes you a living creature. Huh, isn't that great? Amen. So if the Holy Spirit is on the throne of your temple. What's your temple? That's me. That, I, that's God's temple, me. As long as I'm a Christian, as long as I'm doing his will, I'm his temple. And where's his throne? In my temple, in your temple, in the church's temple. Amen. That's what it's all about. All right, now, verse 7. Everybody, am I losing you? I'm going too fast? Everybody, anybody got a question before I go any farther? Verse 7 tells us these four living creatures. One of them's a lion. One of them's a calf. One of them has the face of a man. And one is a flying eagle. 
What are the characteristics that go along with each of those particular characteristics, if you would? Well, if you're a lion, that speaks of your boldness. Did you know as a living creature, you have boldness, especially in the face of the devil and the world and everything that's coming against your experience with Jesus Christ. You can stand up against it and say, ain't no way I'm bowing. I ain't turning back. I ain't turning around. I'm going all the way with Jesus Christ. You can be bold as a lion. Isn't that something? Then we have a calf. In the Old Testament, what were calves used for? You know, as a Christian, as a living creature, sometimes you've got to make some sacrifices. Huh. Isn't that something? We don't like to, because you know why? We think if we earned it, we get it. Huh. No, sometimes I earn things just so I can give them to somebody else. Huh. That's just me. It's the sacrificial aspect of your walk with God. A better way for me to say it, if you want to really get a clear picture of your sacrificial aspect of your Christian walk with God, is the fruit of the Spirit. Huh. Well, well, well. Huh. Anything that's not selfish is sacrificial. Because you're not going to take anything that's of this world with you to the next one. So you might as well sacrifice it. Eh, might as well not build any, you know, don't build no towers for dude. Amen. I don't need any trophies. Yep, I don't need my name on the big building somewhere, so no, I don't need that. All I need to know is I'm walking with God. Then he says it's the face of a man. Well, why is part of these living creatures have a face of a man? Well, we all have the flesh to deal with. You can say what you want, but we all have flesh in our lives. And what that means? Sometimes you get tired and have to go to sleep. Sometimes you get hungry, have to eat. Sometimes you get thirsty and need something to drink. Does that make you mean or ugly or something that God doesn't want to be a part of? No, he made you that way. He gave you that aspect, and he expects you not only to take care of those things, take care of his temple. Amen. Amen. That's why we tell you, don't do things that hurt your body. Stay away from tobacco and alcohol and drugs. And don't do that. That's hard on this body. It's not what it's designed to do. Now, if the doctor prescribes them for you and it's going to help your body, by all means, jump on it. But just to take them for recreation or just to think you look cool, huh? Nah, stay away from that. All right. That's the physicalness of us. And then number four said it was a flying eagle. Isn't that something? You know what? I like that part the best when I look at these four characteristics. I know taking care of my flesh is a tough job. And I know sacrificing for me sometimes can be hard to do. Amen. Because I know the people I'm sacrificing and helping are going to turn their back on me one of these days anyhow. Amen. I know it's coming. But I do it anyway because it's the right thing to do. And I'm as bold as I can be to stand up against the devil. I just want to roar at him like nobody's business. 
I want everybody to know that the devil's no good. And I'm going to roar at him like a lion to run him off. But what I really like is the flying eagle. How many ever had a flying eagle who will go over? Just soaring, just taking its good old time. Looks like it's not even working at it. Amen. What happens when a storm comes and the flying eagle's just out having a nice flight over? You know what he does? He goes, he goes up and goes above the storm and misses it. Amen. We need to learn to do that as living creatures for God. When the storm comes, what do we do? We look up. Go closer to God till the storm passes. Then we can come back and land and get our lunch. Amen. That's what the eagle does. Amen. So everything the devil or the world's trying to throw at you to bring you down, just flap your wings and go higher above it and leave it all on earth where it's just going to sit and rot and decay. Amen. If you're a flying eagle, get above all that stuff. Amen. Now, not only does the, the, a Christian have these characteristics, but in verse 8, it says we all have six wings. Isn't that something? Amen. And do you know why they call those chicken wings? You know why they call them buffalo wings? Does anybody know why they call them buffalo wings? Tell me this straight up. Why is it? Anybody don't know? You are ready to be educated. The first city that ever served them was in Buffalo, New York. And there was a restaurant in New York that started all that buffalo wing stuff. Because it was in Buffalo, they called them, they were chicken wings, but they called them buffalo wings, and that store specialty was wings. And they were, what I hear, as good a wings as you'll ever find. They put all the sauce and whatnot. Now, we call buffalo wings and BWs and all that stuff, you know, and all we're talking about is chicken wings. There's wings placed everywhere. But they originally was in Buffalo, and that's where they got their name. It's not that Buffalo had six wings to fly around with. Amen. But now you and I do. As living creatures, we're given six wings. And I'm going to get to that here just a little bit. And not only that, it says not only do we have six wings, we're full of eyes. Verse 6 says that we're full of eyes before and behind. You know why that is? Because you have to know as much about the Old Testament as you do the New Testament. You have to know as much about your past as you do your future. Because if you don't, what's the old saying? If you don't take heed to the past, you're doomed to repeat it. Huh. How about that stuff? Now, these beasts... Look before to the New Testament, behind to the Old Testament, for all their perspective on the teachings they receive from the two witnesses. That's important. There's a lot of things we'll learn in the Revelation because it's explained in the Old Testament. So you've got to have eyes to be able to look back. And there's a lot of things we've learned from Jesus Christ. We look forward to things he's got there. Amen. Boy, these eyes are important. What you put your eyes on is very important. Do you know that? That's what you're going to follow. What you see is what you're going to follow. Especially if you're looking for the vision 
God has for you. Even if you were physically blind, these spiritual eyes can still give you the vision of God's will for your life. Huh, how about that stuff? Now, as for the wings, and it says, and they rest not day or night, saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was, which is, and is to come. God's eternal. You can't find God's beginning, you'll never see God's end. And he's here today. So he is eternal. That speaks of his eternity as was, is, and is to come. God deserves our praise throughout all our lives as well as even into eternity. Now, to be named holy is the highest form of praise. And God deserves that highest form of praise. Amen? Not just for today, forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen? Because he's eternal. Now, leave your thumb there. Go back to Isaiah, the sixth chapter. Isaiah 6 and 1. This is Isaiah's vision that God gave him. You can read that in the side notes of your Bible or any commentary you want to go. And it says, in the, in the year that King Uzziah died, we know what year that was because we have records of when he died. Actually, the King James Version marks it at 758 B.C. We know what year Isaiah is talking about when he gets this vision. It says that year, now he's not, he's not talking about when his son took over. Jothan was his son. He's taken over after King Uzziah dies. Do you know that, right? He ain't worried about who was king on the earth running things there. We're, we got a vision higher than what that king. He's just letting us know when he saw this vision. He said, and I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. Huh. I thought God was a spirit. I thought the Bible says no man's been able to see him. Huh. With your naked eye, you can't see God. So how could he see him sitting on his throne? Ah, spiritual eyes. Yeah. We see God sitting on his throne. Where is that throne? Don't forget it. Same throne. All right, now I'm going to prove it to you. Now, under the Old Testament, it was a little different, but it's going to relate right into where we're studying. And it says, and he was high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Now, his train, I don't know that much about trains. And I know it's not a choo-choo train. It's something that he drags along probably in what he's wearing as clothing or how, God, how Isaiah sees it in his vision the train, and where do we talk about trains in our day and time? On the bride, the holy, pure bride that's coming down the aisle to be married. Usually they drag it, and whenever I do a wedding, I always ask them ahead of time, how long is your train? Amen? Because boy, can it mess up and get caught in a lot of things. Amen. That's why we don't never vacuum before a wedding. That train does it for us. Amen. It dusts the pews and everything. That's neat, ain't it? All we need to do is put a couple Swiffers on it, and the bride will clean the whole place. Right? 
That's what a train is. Well, he's talking about the glory of God on the throne in the vision he's getting. That's what that means, verse 2. And above it stood the seraphims. Do you know what seraphims are? If you read in the Old Testament, there's two seraphims. And where are they located? They On each end of the Ark of the Covenant. That's a box. It's about two and a half feet by two and a half feet by two and a half feet. It, that's built on and placed in the Holy of Holies, and they thought God lived in that box. So they carved two seraphims, and they called them angels. If you want to do that, they were carved in their minds, the guy that carved them. This is what angels would look like, and they had wings that came up over the ark, and their wings touched. You probably have seen those pictures of different types. That's what the seraphim are. And each one had six wings. Well, how about that stuff? Didn't I just read in Revelation 4, we got six wings as living creatures? Huh, maybe he's talking about some of the same characteristics. Let's find out. All right, and with twain or two of his wings, he covered his face. With two of them, he covered his feet. And with two of them, he did fly. So now we know what those seraphims did with their wings, even though... They're just wood sculptures. <laughs> Did you know that? Isn't that something? That is special, isn't it? What are you laughing at? You're ready to fly, ain't you? Amen. And one cried to another. The same thing that was cried in Revelation 4. Holy, holy, holy. Huh. We ha God hasn't changed his tune. That's what he wants to hear. The Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. Well, where was the glory of God in Isaiah's day? It was in the Holy of Holies. It was smoke by day and fire by night. That's what led the children of Israel for 40 years through the desert and everywhere they get. And there are times even in the temple when they offered up offerings to God, the smoke filled the whole room. Or the cloud filled the whole room. Amen. So that's what we're talking about. And it says, And the posts of the door moved at, his, at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with the presence of God, his smoke. Now, you can't see God. He's spiritual. Well, how would we know he was in there? His smoke was there. Amen. I don't know about you, but if I go to a campfire, and I don't know if it's hot or not, but there's smoke coming off of it, I'm not going to reach down and put my hand on it. I'm smart enough to know, even though I don't see a flame, if there's smoke coming off of it, it's probably hot. Right? Yeah. You don't trust me? Try it. You'll learn pretty quick. Amen. So what happens then? Then I, this is Isaiah saying, now after he received this vision of God, woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Who's the king? Uzziah? No. Jothan, his son? No. Who's the king? I had a vision of Jesus Christ, the king. He's coming. He's coming to help us because our lips are unclean. 
Our hearts are unclean. We need to be redeemed. So what happened? Well, he recognized that God had a plan or a vision to get people's lives straightened out with God. What happened? Well, then flew one of the seraphims. Now remember, this is just a carved something attached to a box. I don't know how it flew. All right? But in his vision, it flew. It took a pair of tongs because he didn't want to burn his pinkies. Took a hot coal off the altar and touched his lips. Now, if it was too hot to grab it with the hand, he had to use tongs, wouldn't it have been awful hot on his lips? Would that have burned his lips? Huh. Do you know what fire is in your life? It's a purifier. Just like gold and silver, the scriptures teach us, it only becomes more pure the more fire you put on it. Because when it melts it all, the dross or the garbage comes to the top. You know how a silversmith or a goldsmith knows when that gold is as pure as it's going to be? When he skims off all the garbage on the top and he can see his reflection in the gold or silver that's left behind. Huh. Well, that's what God wants to do. He wants to put a fire in your life that makes it so pure that when you do away with the garbage that's in your life, sanctify that stuff and get rid of it and put in what God wants you to see in his vision, God looks down and sees his face in your life. Huh. Well, that's what happened. So one of the seraphims, having a live coal in his hand, which had taken all, with the tongs off the altar, he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thy iniquity and sin is taken away. And your sins are purged. I read it too fast. Thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sins are purged. When you don't have iniquity and sin in your life, you should be pure. Amen? All right, here's what happened then. Also in verse 8, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who shall go for us? See the us? That's plural. You know that's a plural pronoun? Who's he talking about? Oh, that's the Trinity again. That's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's who he's speaking of there. Who's going to go for us? Hmm. Then said I, Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. Give me the vision you want me to have. Amen? So when we get through these things, we see what, how God's working with us, and he gives Isaiah the vision, and it's basically the same vision we get back in Romans, uh, I'm not Romans, Revelation fourth chapter, verse number six. I, Isaiah, when he said, woe is me, I'm undone, he knew he was in trouble with God. All of us have experienced that. At one time in our life, all of us fell short of the glory of God. Amen. I'm unclean and I live amongst unclean people, but Lord, I'm ready to walk in your vision. Amen. It says, because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Now, we need to know that was the king that rode into 
Jerusalem on a donkey. That was the king that Pilate said was king of the Jews. That's the king we know as our redeemer and the one that hath power to, pur to purge Isaiah's sins is the same one that can purge our sins and iniquities out of our life through his blood that he has shed on Calvary's cross. Amen? All right. So when he says in verse 8, the, the voice of the uh, Lord was heard by Isaiah, whom shall I send? Isaiah said, I'll go. Here am I. Send me. Amen. Now, once you've been called of God, once God has given you the vision that he wants you to have and says, whom shall I send and who shall go for us in 2021? Who's it going to be? You have to answer that question for yourself. Here I am. Send me. If your answer, if you answer the vision the wrong way, you're probably going to end up as part of Revelation 4 and verse 9. So when the, these beasts or these living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him that sat on the throne who lives forever and ever, once you get grip on your vision, or God gives you the vision you want for 2021, that will fulfill that vision, then you will be considered the church that God is trying to work through. It tells us that in verse 10. Because the four and 20 elders, we, all, we covered them last Sunday, so I'm not going to go back. That's the redeemed. That's the church. Again, all right? And, of course, you can read that in the next chapter, verse 9. It tells you exactly. They are the redeemed. Amen. So the four and twenty elders fell down before him that sat on the throne and worshipped him that lives forever and ever. And what did they do? Remember, they had crowns on their head in verse number 4. Right? They were in white raiment with crowns on their head. Now they take their crowns off and cast them before God. Any victory you have... As a child of God, it's not because of how good you are, how great you are, how spiritual you are, how holy you are. Any victory you get, or any crown, that's what that crown represents, any victory, any spiritual victory you attain, to God be the glory. You need to take it off and lay it at his feet. It's not because of how good you are. I can tell you, the people that think they deserve a crown are the ones that don't deserve them. Huh, isn't that something? Amen. So the four and 20 elders, they worshiped God for the vision that they had that was sent to them. And they cast their crowns or their victories before him saying in verse 11, thou art worthy. O Lord, to receive glory, honor, power. For thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Amen. You know that includes you? Because you're God's creation. Huh. Wow. Now I want to just kind of 
slow down here and wrap it up. And turn with me, if you would. Remember, in Revelation 1 and 6, he said that we are now kings and priests to our God. In 1 Peter 2 and 9, knew it didn't sound right. I've read these pages so much they all stick together. First Peter 2 and 9 tells us what we are as far as priests. He said, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. You're different than the rest of the world if you're a Christian. Now, peculiar, we think of that as odd. It's not because you're a bunch of oddballs. You're just different than the world. Amen. You're in minority. There are very few true Christians in the world compared to those that aren't Christians, if you would. You're a peculiar people. That ye should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's our job. To show the praises of God to the world around us. Isn't that something? Huh. That is good stuff. Can I tell you something? Preachers aren't the only ministers. Hmm. Every child of God that's been called that is fulfilled that is filled with the spirit of god shares in the mission of the work of god on earth and they need to share the vision god gives them with whoever is around you that you have influence over that you can share that with that vision around them of the greatness of god and the power of him throughout eternity. Amen. I have heard that in the last 20 years, about 40% of Americans have left, if you would, believing God and now don't believe in God. Huh. Now, I got to tell you something. A lot of people think God wrote this Bible for the Americans because we live in America. And a lot of these things we can relate to. He wrote it for the whole world. Amen. So don't think because we live in America that God wrote us this Bible so we'll understand what God wants us to know. There are a lot of people in this world that have to answer for this Bible even though they've never read it. Woo. How about that stuff? Well, since we're all ministers, amen. Turn with me. I want to read one more over in Titus. That's just a couple pages over past Hebrews. Somewhere. Titus 2, verse 14. Talking about Jesus Christ. Here's what he did for you. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. And purify unto himself a peculiar, huh, didn't I just read that in Second Peter? Peculiar people, zealous 
of good works. These things speak, speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no man despise thee. Huh. That's exactly what we read in the fourth chapter of the book of Revelation. Amen? He said, even you were created for these things, and you and me, we're supposed to bring forth the praises of God. If you don't do your part to care for the vision of God God's given you, God's pleasure is cut short. He's counting on you. You know there are people in this world that don't know God unless they see Him in your life? Hmm, I think it says that on that sign right up there. Without you living for God, they'll never get to see God. Amen. Because God's invisible to them. He's spiritual. And if they're not spiritual, they won't see Him. But they can see you. And they can see the vision God's put in your life. Amen. God's counting on all of us that are called to see that calling become a vision and that vision be ministered to the world by us as the priesthood of God. Amen? Matthew, the 28th chapter, he gave us the Great Commission. We should know that pretty much by heart. Verse 19 and 20 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. There's another Trinity scripture if you guys want to study the Trinity. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'll be with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. That's our commission. That's what God wants us to do. If that's not our vision, if that's not our commission, we're walking the wrong direction with God. Amen. Amen. Now, I don't need an older call song tonight, but I want you all to stand. Ask God. Just bow your head and close your eyes and ask God, what's your vision for my life? 